of Oakland, California, epic recording artist, Tower of Power. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Path to Pro Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Hodel. On today's show, we'll be joined by three-time MLS Best 11 midfielder and four-time MLS Cup finalist, Steve Ralston. So let's get right into it. I'm happy to be joined on the phone by Steve Ralston. Steve, thanks for taking the time. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Can you start by uh, talking about your childhood in soccer? What was the moment that first got you into the game? Do you have a memory? Um, yeah, I think so. Just having an older brother who was involved in sports and uh, always looked up to him and just remember being in the backyard and, and kicking the ball with him. Awesome. Did, did, what, do you, uh, did you attend his games and, and cheer him on and stuff like that? Is that? Were you a fan first of your brother? You know what? I Actually, I remember more going to like his baseball games and cross-country meets, not so much his soccer games. Soccer is just the one thing that, for me, was the most I was most passionate about, even at, at a young age. And I played all I played all the sports growing up, and uh, for whatever reason, soccer was just the one that stuck with me. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and we had a team called the St. Louis Steamers, and they were part of the old MISL, the indoor team. And those were the guys that I remember going to watch those games and thinking, this is pretty cool. I would love to do this. Yeah, so... I guess you were, it was when indoor soccer was the bigger thing because you were around before Major League Soccer started. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. I grew up. I guess actually just after the NASL kind of folded and before really any outdoor league really uh, took shape. So mostly it was just indoor soccer was was the only thing that I had around as a kid. Yeah. So when did I guess becoming a pro become on on your radar for you as a player? Was it? there all the time because of the indoor game or did that not really exist was the goal always just to play in college yeah just mostly to play in college i mean for me there was like you said there the only professional uh path was to indoor which um i actually ultimately ended up playing a tiny bit professionally uh indoor before mls started but my story is a little bit different than most of the professional players i mean i was never like the star player I didn't start for my high school team. I played in the freshman team as a freshman. I played on the JV as a sophomore. I played in the varsity my junior senior year, but really didn't start a ton. Started off my senior year starting, and then I, um, I I sprained my ankle, missed one game, and I came back. I just came off the bench the rest of the year. So obviously, I wasn't getting uh, my door pounded down by by college coaches. So I uh, I had a different path. I went to junior college for one season, and uh, really that year was the year that everything just kind of clicked for me, and I just got way way better. And uh, ended up going to play at uh, FIU. Uh, I had a, a teammate on my club team who was there who, who talked to the coach and said, hey, there's this kid back home. You might want to have a look at it. He's doing pretty good. He plays on my club team. So I think the coach just took his word into the FIU. And um, for me, the timing was perfect because after my senior year of college, the MLS started. Yeah, so what was your time like, I guess, in South Florida at FIU? Uh, how did you progress as a player to, to get ready for Major League Soccer? Um well, I didn't know anything about Major League Soccer. I was just in college enjoying playing Division One Division One soccer and living in Miami. To be honest, I mean, growing up in St. Louis, I went down to uh, to Miami. It was it was uh, it was a, a great college experience, and um, for me, it was it was neat just because from going from playing in junior college, playing for not starting in high school, and then playing in junior college, and then my first game in FIU was at Virginia when they had you know they had just won two or three straight national championships. So like just the progression over those couple of years um, was, was was pretty neat. 
and uh, yeah, and then ultimately had a pretty successful college career. Yeah, and that obviously leading into the very first season with uh, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, what was that first season of Major League Soccer like in your memory? Probably maybe the most enjoyable season I've ever had, obviously just because you're, 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 you're a professional athlete and living on your own and doing all these things and you feel like you're, you're, you've made it, right? You're playing professional sports and playing in front of big crowds. And for me, in college, I had a, a poster of Carlos Valderrama in my dorm room. And then here he was sitting across from me in the locker room. And it was kind of surreal just to, to look back at it and go, you know, from a kid who didn't start in high school to playing with Carlos Valderrama in just a couple of years was uh, was pretty neat. And that whole, that whole season, I was really lucky. I had a lot of great great pros in that team, a lot of older veteran players who kind of took me under their, under their wing and, and helped guide me. And um, a lot of those guys ended up being coaches in MLS. And um, had a really good coach, Thomas Rongen, I think was great for, for me at that time. And uh, we had a really good team. So obviously when you're winning, we won the – it was wasn't called the supporter shield back then, but we it's what what it is today. We won that and uh, came up a little short in the playoffs in DC, but had a really good season and uh, a lot of fun. I guess you were there because just with what happened with the crew this year in San Jose, you know, ten years ago. What was it like to be? I guess the uncertainty of being around a club when they were going to fold in two thousand one when they contracted the two Florida clubs. How difficult was that for you? Yeah, it was hard. Um, it was hard personally because. I had just built a house. My daughter was, you know, a couple of weeks old when they announced that the team was moving. And we kind of, there's been speculation going on for quite some time around that at that time saying, you know, the team's going to move to Rochester. The team's going to do this. It's going to fold. And um, I remember the day that, you know, a few of us players had gone out. And this was like, in, I think, end of, you know, this is the very beginning of January of uh, 2002. And the season was, you know, just a few weeks away. And we were out training just, a few of the players who were in the area to stay in shape and we get back in our cars and it's like, we get this announcement that the team is folding and we're like, what? Like people are calling us saying, Hey, did you hear the team folded? And we, none of us had known. And, uh, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a surprise, but not really, but the timing of when it was considering that the season was just a few weeks away, it kind of caught us off guard a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then you got to move to, I guess, to the club that you're maybe the most synonymous with reaching four MLS Cup finals. Uh, h- how do you remember your time in New England in that transition? Yeah, what's funny is like that when that when the team folded in Tampa, I had to watch on the internet like where I was going to end up going. I'm just watching this, the computer like, and the, there's so many people online at the time. My computer kept going out. It was like I'm looking at the thing, going, okay. I, I don't want to go to New York. I don't want to go to New England. I don't know why at the time I was thinking that. I just, I was living, I, I was used to the nice weather and the cheaper cost of living in Florida. I don't know why I did not want to go to the Northeast. And when New England picked me, I was like, no, I don't want to go there. I called my agent. I'm like, come on, you got to get me. I don't want to go to New England. Can, can you get me to it somewhere else? And uh, I had a good friend of mine, a guy named Farouk Karashi, who was the um, GM of uh, the Mutiny the first year. He had spent some time in Boston. He's like, Steve, you got to go into open mind. It's a great city. You're going to love it. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I started looking at the roster and the players and, and kind of what they were building. And I went up there, and granted, it was freezing, freezing cold and about three feet of snow when I got there. It uh, ended up being uh, an unbelievable experience for, for myself and my family. We still love the area and um, really loved my, my nearly 10 years there. Um, personally, but also professionally, obviously, we had we had great success. And um, it was uh, it was, I'm so glad that 
they did choose me. Do you remember when that moment switched for you that all of a sudden you, I guess, got excited about being in New England? Probably about halfway through that season, near the end of the season, to be honest. Um, we started the season, we were struggling. We were in last place, and they made the coaching change, and Steve Nichol took over. And uh, during that season, I don't know what, what happened. The group just came together, and we went on a run at the end of the season and made it to the finals that year, and that kind of just set in motion. Like, that group of players, we, we, you know, we had you know, myself and Taylor and Jay and all these guys who stayed together for a long, long period of time and uh, just just kept kind of going and uh, came together as, as, as a really tight-knit group. Yeah, so you, you talked about a lot of the top players, I guess, of that generation, whether it be that you got to play with there, whether it be Clint Dempsey, Shari Joseph, Parkhurst, Twelman, Heaps, a lot, of, a lot of guys. Well, what did it mean to you to be named captain eventually with all those guys around you? Yeah, it was nice. I mean, uh, um, to be honest, I mean, we, I mean, I wore the armband and I tried to lead by example, but we had a lot of different leaders on our team in different ways. Um, but I think it was mostly because I was, I was the oldest guy there, that, that but, um, I still wore it with, uh, with honor. I was proud to wear it and, and to represent, um, the revs. And, uh, you know, I wish the one regret is not being able to lift up the MLS cup trophy, you know, being the captain, being the first one up there to lift that up would have been, uh, really special, but, um, yeah, it was neat. I mean, like you said, the players that you, that you named, I mean, those guys, some of the best players in most history, and we all played together at the same time. Um, you know, you, you forgot Pat Noonan and Matt Reese and all these guys who were, who were all on that team, too. So it was a really special group. How much did that team probably deserve an MLS Cup in your mind? Oh, well, deserve, I mean, deserve or not, we, we had our opportunities. We just did, we didn't do it. And I, it's funny, like, and how close we were and the way that those games played out. And, you know, the first one was golden goal where we hit the crossbar and they went down the field and scored and the game was over. You know, how close, what a couple of inches make it, make the difference there. And then uh, the next one again in overtime where Pando Ramirez scores the goal of his life and, and we have a ball cleared off the line and just the little things didn't go our way. And uh, maybe we, maybe some of it was we didn't make our, enough of our own luck. Some things it just wasn't meant to be, I guess. Yeah, it, but you were able to win, I guess, the 2007 U.S. Open Cup. Um, does that make that tournament more special to you? And how do you remember lifting that trophy? Yeah, it was great. I mean, for us, that group of players that I mentioned, we, we, we've been through a few of those losses already together. And uh, it was a little bit of vindication and a little bit of relief that you know we finally got over the hump and, and we won something. Um, and, and to do it in, in Dallas, where we had lost two MLS Cups, was uh, nice as well. Um, and then I think it was the next year, maybe we, we won the Super League. So it wasn't like we went empty handed. We definitely, I mean, we're remembered for, for losing all the MLS Cup finals. And that's the ones that we wanted the most. Um, but we did kind of settled for, for, for the, the Open Cup and the Super League. And, uh, I don't, I don't think that we get enough credit because we did, I mean, to look at going to three straight finals, won the Open Cup, won the Super League. It was a pretty good, pretty good team. Absolutely. And, and over this whole time, just to, to, to move on to your national team playing career, you got 10 years of earning 36 caps. Um, what was the moment with the national team that stands out to you? Was it your first cap, first goal, maybe the 2007 Gold Cup final? What, what was the biggest moment for you wearing the national team jersey? Um, well, the, I think there's two moments for me that I remember mostly. And one is um, probably I think it was 2003 at the Gold Cup. And I, I had gotten called into the national team camps. Early on, probably like in the end of 96, early 97, I got called in my first cap. We played Peru, 
and I had a couple of games that didn't play well, and I went years without really getting much of a chance. And I remember in 2003, I wasn't a part of the initial Gold Cup roster, but somebody had gotten injured, and they were playing in Boston, so they, they called me in. And I was mostly just there, probably just as covered. And I ended up playing, and I ended up playing pretty good. And I remember the games being at Gillette and big crowds and playing well and actually had a couple of assists and and, and how the crowd were, uh, were so behind me. Obviously, be, being, you know, playing in my own stadium there was uh, was pretty neat and uh, felt like, okay, I belong, I can do this, and, and I contributed and was a big part of it. So that, that moment there in 2003, but then 2005 to score against Mexico in the qualifier was uh, in one of the Dos Acero games is something that I'll, I'll always remember. Yeah, yeah. Can you do you mind do you mind talking about that goal? I can see it in my mind, but what was going through your head right when that ball hit the back of the net? Uh, well, it was to be honest, it was probably the easiest goal I've ever scored in my entire life. It was about three inches out, so if I would have missed that, that would have been uh, pretty embarrassing. Um, but it was something that we, we worked on. We worked on set pieces a lot, and the build up in those days before the game of of working on that, and we ended up scoring both of the goals through set pieces and. You know, just for me, it was about getting in the box and just having movement and finding space. And um, luckily for me, the ball hit the post and came right to me. And then I just remember after the goal scored, second checking the lines and the show was onside. Just running to the side with, with the players were, uh, were warming up and just all of us kind of jumping on each other and, and celebrating. That's a, that's amazing. And then just uh, you've kind of been seen as like an Ironman in some ways in your career when you retired, one of the tops in appearances in major league soccer history and and now still in the top 10 uh what do you credit that longevity to and consistency to how difficult is it to maintain that level for that long well you gotta remember i, I never went into any, any tackles i didn't i didn't play defense or tackle anybody i said i put myself at risk you didn't, you didn't do that else. um no but but in, in, seriously like I, I i try to take care of myself i tried to, to be a big pro and um you know, I worked hard every day in training and tried to take care of my body and eat the right things and a little bit of a, a little bit of luck. And I definitely played through injuries as well. And uh, I just wanted to be on the field, wanted to be consistent. I mean, my, my dad always told me the story, uh, you know, about Luda and getting the chance to play and um, don't let it, somebody else take your, your job because if, if you take a day off and somebody comes in as well, then uh, you could be out. So I always thought about that. And, uh, just love to play and wanted to compete, and I think that's what, well, what most of the good pros want to do. I guess uh, following your playing days, you got into coaching fairly quickly. I guess you were an assistant with AC St. Louis for a moment. Were you? Was this something you were planning for during your entire playing career? Did you always know you wanted to get into coaching when you got done playing? Um, you know what? I, I was assumed I would, but as most athletes do, you kind of wait till the last minute and you're just concentrating on your on your playing career and. Um, I was, I was lucky. It kind of, kind of, I was fortunate that, you know, I had known Dominic for a long time. Um, but the whole AC, AC St. Louis thing was, that was a bit of a debacle, to be honest. I mean, I, I had gotten injured and did my knee in New England. My contract was up and it was an opportunity to go back home. To, I wanted to play. At the time, I wasn't quite ready to coach. I wanted, was more focused on, on the playing part of it. And, um, they gave me the opportunity to go back there to, to play, but also to kind of get into coaching a little bit. It was such a short, brief moment that I, don't really consider that like a real coaching experience or moment. Um, but then when, when I went to Houston with Dominic, that was when, when, that, when the whole coaching stuff really, really began. Um, he and I were teammates in Tampa years and years back before that and kind of always remained friends. And he always kind of said, hey, I'm going to retire. 
can also stand up. And then when I went back to New England to play, I got injured again, and uh, I got a phone call from Dominic saying, hey, look, I'm looking for an assistant coach. Spenny's leaving. Would you be interested? And I was like, well, do you mean now or in the year? Because I kind of want to continue to play. And he's like, no, it has to be now. And I was like, well, I kind of looked at my looked at my, my previous two years where I had I broke my leg, I tore my ACL, and I dislocated my shoulder and my elbow in a two-year span. And I figured, well, you know, I'm 36 years old. Maybe it's time to get into something else. And uh, so I went down with with, uh, with Dominic to Houston and uh, had just a, a great experience, you know, working with him. And, and uh, yeah, led me to where I am now. Yeah, so you've named a bunch of coaches you've either played or uh, coached under. Is there someone you consider your biggest coaching mentor, whether it be Kinnear, Steve Nickel, you mentioned Thomas earlier, Bruce Arena you've played under. Is there someone you consider your biggest coaching mentor? Is it Dominic? Probably Dominic, just because I mean, we coach together with them. I mean, when you're a player, yes, you have you're influenced by your coaches and you always think about things you want to do. But when you're actually coaching with somebody and you're, and you're having that, that dialogue and, and, and working with them that closely – for as many years as we have, it's been, I, would, I would definitely say it's been Dominic. Yeah, what 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 in your mind uh, makes Dominic such a good coach or so special? Um, I just think he's a great man manager. Like he's just um, he commands a locker room better than than anybody I've been around. Um, I think the players respect him, and um, it's just he's a great leader. And guys, guys, you know, really really like him. Um, so I think for me, that's the, the biggest. The biggest attribute he has is just his presence in the locker room. He's funny, he can joke, but he can also be, he can be really serious and demanding. You've had, I guess, a, a lot of close calls, like you mentioned, MLS Cup final, and then also again as an assistant in Houston. Um, how have these small setbacks helped shape you as both a, a player and a coach and your work ethic and drive? Um, yeah, they, I think they continue to drive you when, you, when you're that close and um, you've had that much heartbreak. I mean, I've been to six. MLS Cup Finals and, and I've lost. I've been in bridesmaid and we won, and uh, that's hard to be honest. I mean, that, that that's something that I will, you know, if, if if I don't ever win one, that I'll take to my grave. And, and uh, you know, you can look at both ways. I can say, you know, how did I not win one of these six championships? Or I can say, you know what? Like I said earlier, a couple times, like I didn't start my high school team, and then I ended up playing and being involved with six MLS Cup Finals. I played in the, with the national team, and uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those questions as I've, I'm also a golf fan thinking about Phil Mickelson and someone he's always said he'd trade his six U.S. Open Cup runner-ups for one U.S. Open Cup. Is that something that, that rings true with you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think about like to, to have been able to, to after the game to celebrate the teammates, to pick up that trophy, to get a win. But just more importantly, just the moment with, with your teammates to know that you, that you did this and you always have that together. And then I guess most recently you were the interim coach in, here in San Jose. What was that challenge like for you guys? First time leading a team as the head coach, but under a difficult circumstance. How did you approach that challenge? Yeah, it was uh, it was difficult. That's for sure. It was uh, it was a great experience, though. To be honest, like I wasn't expecting it to happen, and uh, I wasn't thrilled with the way that it happened. To be honest, not how you kind of imagine getting your head coaching job um, at the expense of somebody else, especially somebody who who. I, I really, really like, and I still talk to you. I actually talked to you yesterday as Michael Starr, and it's like um, kind of forced in this position, but also Michael said, hey, you need to do this. It's a great opportunity for you, um, and uh, enjoy it, make the most of it. So he was really supportive in, in me doing that. So, um, But it was it was hard. 
for it in the sense of like trying to make playoffs or anything like that. So it was hard to uh, to keep the guys motivated and keep, and keep going. But for me, it was about trying to change a few things, um, trying to change our training habits a little bit, trying to change a little bit of the culture and how we prepare. Um, and then, to be honest, I felt like we, we made some, some progress and steps, but we didn't want to lose. So that, that part is hard. Um, obviously, I wanted to win, but I wanted to see us going in a different path in the right direction. Um, so it was uh, it was a, it was a really great experience. I mean, I felt like I've learned so much. You learn a lot as a coach, but until you're actually put into the fire and you're the head coach, it's a totally different animal. And uh, it was it was uh, it was really really neat to be part of. Yeah. So was it something that you were? Ha- I mean, obviously, it's an opportunity that you have to take. Was it something that you? wish that now that you might have wanted to wait for a full head coaching job or is it one that you you're happy to have done no matter what no i'm happy that that, that, that it happened um when it did because I mean, sometimes it's better just to be thrown into it and not have the time to like overthink it and just kind of like okay this is what it is gotta do it and, and for me it was easier too because i knew the players the players knew me it wasn't like i'm coming to an entire new team um and it would have been maybe easier if I had, had I done that, where you have an entire preseason to prepare, whereas I had one day to prepare to play against Atlanta United. Um, so that was a, that was a challenge, but it was uh, it was good, man. I'm I'm so I'm so happy that that it happened. Um, I, I wish we would have won some games, and I wish that I could have seen Chris Wondolowski break the, the goal scoring record. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants. Everybody's waiting on that Wando record, <laughs> no doubt, out here in Northern California. Um, but what would you consider, uh, I guess, your your biggest coaching philosophy in terms of how you like to coach um, overall and, and interact with your players? Well, I just, I just, for me, I'm, I, I consider myself a nice guy, and I try to have good relationships with the players. Um, and it's hard, though. I mean, there's going to be times where you, you're going to upset players, and I and I've sat some players that have been playing all the time, and they weren't too happy, but. I, you know, um, that's the way that it goes, and you have to make those decisions as a coach. But ultimately, I think if you be honest and you, and you, and you tell the players the truth, that's the most important thing. Yeah. So, so how hard is it, I guess, to uh, to toe that line of of being a leader and a mentor and a friend, but also being critical to being able to accept that someone may be upset for a little bit when you bench them, but still be on a good relationship with them. How how do you balance that line? Yeah, it's a tough one because all. Players take it differently than others, um, and you got to know, I guess, which players you can push and which ones you kind of got to, um, you know, coddle a little bit. And I think that's just part of coaching: you getting to know your players and knowing how to push the right buttons. And that takes time, and getting to know the different players and building those relationships. And um, you know, I just think, like I said, the most important thing is is just to be honest with them. And uh, I think the players see, see through the BS, and if you're trying to tiptoe around it. You, get, you gotta you can't always sugarcoat it. You gotta you gotta tell them the truth and say, listen, this is what I see. I'm the coach, and this is what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna need you. You're gonna play a part at some point. I need you to be ready. Absolutely. Um, I guess now that San Jose has kind of moved on to 2019, what what's next for you in your career and your ultimate goals in the game coaching? Um, you know what? I'm not quite sure. I mean, this has all kind of happened pretty pretty quickly here, and just, I'm, you know, I've known for a few just a little bit of time here that. I won't be back with the team, so I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is I'm going to do, but I do know that I'm going to take a little bit of time off right now and uh, spend a little bit more time with my family. Maybe uh, you know, I've been able to go on a field trip with my daughter last week and get to do some of the things that 
I, I generally don't get to do. So I'm, I'm enjoying this little bit of downtime right here. But I know that in a few weeks, I'm going to be bored out of my mind and want to get back and doing something. So I'll be looking. Yeah, so so, so on that, what what's your favorite thing to do in your free time that isn't soccer? What, what do you do when you're not coaching? Um, well, just like you said, just you know, spending time with my family. And, uh, you know, the normal stuff you do, i got three kids and one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. So I'm pretty busy with them and all their sports. But for me, if I have any, any free time of my own, I'm, I'm usually doing one of two things. That's either fishing or out running. I've, been, I've gotten myself, I, I mean, I grew up fishing my whole life and um, done that all over the country. And now, since I've come here in the last couple of years, I've really got into trail running. And, I, and, and it kills me because I used to always, like, I hated just doing the running part. I always loved to, to play soccer and football around, but never wanted to run. And my brother would tell me, when you retire, and now, now that's what I'm doing. Now I find myself out um, running and um, trying to, I guess, get rid of some of the stress you get from, from the coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's actually funny because we had another guest on, Ian Russell, who said fishing was his go-to as well. So I <laughs> bet you guys are probably linked up on that. Well, yeah, well, Ian, Ian likes fish. He's not very good, though. <laughs> okay, shots fired. Awesome. Yeah. I, actually, I actually go fish. I actually go fishing with Ian quite a bit because Ian and I worked together for such a long time here. We're both assistant coaches in San Jose, and he's just a few hours away up in Reno. So he and I have actually connected a few times and uh, had a couple really enjoyable trips together. So you know, we always see each other about who's, uh, who's a better fisherman. So. <laughs> That's funny. He's a better, he's a better trout fisherman, but I'm a better bass fisherman. So. Okay, that's good. And then I guess my my final question here is: I just uh, one one piece of advice that you have to other coaches that you wish you might have had when you started coaching. It's a good question. You know what? I just I just think about being open minded, um, be willing to, to to change and adapt. And uh, for me, but to, to to look more for the positives um, in people and than the negatives. Awesome. Well, well, thanks so much for your time, Steve. Uh, really, really appreciate it, and I look forward to see what you do next. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again. That was Steve Ralston, most recently the interim head coach of the San Jose Earthquakes. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, keep supporting the beautiful game. I execute you if I have to. You can stand still like a statue, wondering what's going on. Like Marvin, I start to carve in my own spot. My man Roy make me hot, but we say cold in the go. The brother Thomas never stop with the flow. My flow keeps going on and on and I like to do it because I'm deep in the corners and I'm not the type to beat like that.